No time for long introduction or quick stingers. We're going to talk about content, and I love content. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, James Ellis here. Thanks so much for joining us on the Talent Cast. It is season two here, which means, of course, that we've turned uh, the book that I wrote and updated it, turned it into an audiobook, and now turning it into a podcast. And that is what you are listening to right now. And thank you. The whole season is brought to you by RecruitmentMarketing.com, the community for recruitment marketing professionals. Go join RecruitmentMarketing.com. It's free. Go see lots of great content from really, really smart people. But also, if this is the sort of thing you like, you can actually ask me anything. We're doing a couple of those. So go sign up. Take a look. That's RecruitmentMarketing.com. No time to dawdle. Let's get into it. So why is content marketing and content so important to employer branding? Well, that's a great question. But I want to start by telling you a little story. I want to tell you about Dave. Dave's a great guy. He'd do anything for you. Just ask, and he'd do it with a smile. What do you think of Dave? I mean, mean, despite a glowing endorsement, those are just a bunch of nice words that don't mean too much, right? What if instead I told you about the time that Dave was running late in the morning, knowing full well that he had an interview candidate coming in for a final round of interviews with leadership, but on the way to work, he stopped to help a woman with two kids in the backseat change a flat in their car. And when Dave made it into the office 20 minutes late, there's a smear of grease across his shirt. His jacket was kind of roughed up, maybe even ruined. The candidate, who had been oscillating between a nervous and annoyed, suddenly changed, wanting to hear Dave's story. And Dave told that story laughing the whole time. What do you think about Dave now? The power of a story has been written about many times before, so I'm not getting too far into that. But there's a core and undeniable truth. People believe stories. And more than that, stories have a depth and complexity that claims simply can't touch. In that story about Dave, was he someone who was just an auto enthusiast? Or someone who was really worried about the kids being stuck in the back of the car potentially for a long time? Was the grease smear an indication of how hard the task was? Or the fact that Dave wasn't really a good tire changer? You can read and project so many details into a story that gives it a kind of depth Right? It gives it validity. It makes it real. It connects you to the characters and builds bonds emotionally like nothing else really. So when you're looking to learn about a company, do you want claims or do you want to hear the stories? And that's why content in any form you choose is so crucial to building your brand. But don't forget that we, there's a hierarchy here. Remember, can, the candidates need information in a very particular order. We talked about that last week. Trying to explain the work environment without going first through all the steps makes it makes even the best recruiter look a little tone deaf. It kind of makes sure that they don't have great credibility. But we can build a roadmap on what kind of content to build. So if you have a, a, a photo of a holiday party and a photo of a product launch, the question might be, which do you use? And this is for a framework that lets you answer the questions that spell out who and what is the content for before you even start building it, which keeps you from going down blind alleyways or building content without intention or purpose that doesn't move the needle, that doesn't, I don't know, justify the time you spend building it. So when we're thinking about a framework for content, it starts with the who. It starts with the audience. So if you don't know your audience, you don't really know what they talk about, what they care about, or where they're in line, or anything you're effectively nowhere. So you need to define your audience before getting started. But that's a nice phrase, define your audience. What does it really mean? Well, here are all the things you need to know to nail things down. 
we start with career area. Now, when I first started sketching out a framework here, the biggest part was where to start, either for myself or for the audience. You could really start at three other places in this framework with a reasonable chance of success, but in the end, I started here simply because it's the safest part of the entire framework. Safest? Yeah. So my assumption isn't that I have to convince you that this works. My assumption is that you have to convince your boss that it works. And the best way to get that to happen is to start in a place that you already know what your business does and who you need to hire on a structural level. We're not, not talking about fit or anything like that yet. Just what are the roles? What are the career areas? And you already know who you need to hire. You need to hire, I don't know, an IT support person, a nurse, a customer service team member, a marketing manager, a mid-level account person, a factory floor manager, a director of whatever. We start here because this is what you already know you need. Everything will get added as we go along. So do you really need to worry about a career area? And this is something I thought a lot about as I developed the framework and used it for clients. I flipped on it, I admit, you know, in a lot of ways you can kind of ignore it. And as we'll see in later sections, there's a case to be made that understanding the career stage is more important than the career area. And the rules around thinking about this stuff are the same for every role. But the framework is a means of focusing your thinking to help you quickly figure out what you can ignore and what you have to include. And if that's the case, career area is important. Not just because the motivations behind the roles are so different, but because people, more than anything else, want to feel understood. If you were looking to hire IT staff, would you send a nurse to recruit them? Of course not. Not because a nurse couldn't understand what IT does, they probably can, or even understand the motivations that help people without getting lost, you know, without getting a lot of glory. And trust me, they get that. You don't send a nurse to talk to IT recruits because an IT prospect will want to know that you understand them. Sending someone who speaks their language is a really important way to make that happen. So starting with a career area means that we can draw a more clear picture of who the prospect is, which lets us figure out what the prospect wants, which leads to compelling content. The next step is demographics. And there was a time when Pinterest user base was 80% female, suggesting that brotastic messages would not be very well accepted there. Now, in the last five years, they've really shifted to be far more balanced, but it still makes the point that knowing your demographics of who you're trying to reach helps you define both what content you should be building and what channel to use. Now, beyond gender, what are the age, gra age groups you're trying to engage? Where do they live? Are they you know, affluent or are they not affluent? Are they renters? Do they own? If they own, is it a condo or is it a ranch? If their commute is car-based or train-based? All these questions really help you make decisions down the road. Career stage. One of the elements of demographics is age, which if you squint just right, might be the same as career stage, but career stage is such a driving element in how candidates make decisions, it needs its own consideration. Ask 100 entry-level millennials, and bearing in time, you know, at the moment I wrote this, millennials can be as old as 35, you'll understand that the most important thing that they look for in a job is the ability to learn. Ask the same question of people, 100 people between the ages of 60 and 63, and you're not going to hear that. You're going to hear that they're interested in coaching people, uh, having scope, leaving a legacy, an impact, you know, things that they think about towards the end of their career. The position of a career stage is universal, which is really interesting. It crosses industry and professional divides. And that means that an entry-level accountant 
probably has a lot more in common with another entry-level HR specialist than they do with an accountant with 20 years experience. Just because they're both accountants doesn't mean they have the same motivations and challenges. Both entry-level audiences are both going to care about a lot less about pensions or 401ks and mentoring. Um, and when I say mentoring, I mean giving mentoring, not accepting mentoring. They're really going to be a lot more focused about growing their skill sets, learning how to navigate politics, understanding what a career path looks like, that sort of thing. Keep this element in mind when deciding what kind of message you'll be delivering. Motivation. And, and we've talked about that a whole lot, so we'll skip to the next section, which is funnel position. Now, we've already done a deep dive on the recruiting funnel, so the simplest way to approach this question is to ask, are they needing to be attracted to the role and the company, or are they looking for validation for their attraction to the role or company? The funnel isn't a purely abstract thing. It's a way to remember that the consideration journey is very long and requires content at each stage, and that the content is probably different. At each stage, the prospect is concerned about different things. Like at the top, they're going to be more worried about logistical and foundational questions. Like, can I do this job? Is this job feasible to reach? Right Towards the bottom of the hierarchy kind of questions. Later, the questions are going to shift to worry about what experience, what the experience of working here is going to be like, if it's going to support their motivations and their career goals. So now that we've defined the who, it's time to figure out the what. So let's get into content goals. Now classically, these are the core purposes of what content can do. This is straight from Content Marketing 101. Content can educate, inform, entertain, and inspire. Sometimes it's the shorthand is E-E-I-I or E2-I-2, which you know is pretty nerdy, but whatever. These goals are not mutually exclusive, right? You can educate and entertain. You can inspire and inform. But they further tighten the writer's focus to content that leads to action, right? There's a lot of research that says when you're trying to attract people, uh, inspiration and entertainment really works a lot, you know, really does a lot of good work towards the bottom of the process as people are closer to the final interview or accepting an offer. They need more information and education than they need inspiration. Where these goals help is to remind the writer to focus on the reader and not the organization about which they're writing. That's a key element here, right? It's so easy to just, you know, to let companies dictate what the, you know, what the content should be. I mean, companies are really narcissists that way. They have huge teams of people devoting to taking any line of information or inquiry and turning it back to the company's perspective. That's their job. Think of all the articles that are written about how Company X won this award or that award. This is corporate ego, speaking very little to the prospect very often. If the goal for highlighting these awards is to make the prospect feel like their, their work in the company will likely win awards, that can feel inspirational. And you need to frame it that way. That's a very different beast than your standard, we won the XYZ award press release that generally sits on most career sites. Now, if you have job titles that are obscure or unusual, you need to build content that informs the reader about the job and educates them about what the role might entail. I mean, right now we live in a world where a lot of jobs didn't exist five years ago or even a year ago. So in, in a lot of levels, there's not like everybody knows what this role does. You have to give it more information than the standard job post. Prospects might not know if your marketing manager reports to the CMO and requires years of experience or if it's an entry-level manager right, or entry-level role. And I've seen those that title apply both ways. Finally, content can entertain. I mean, not that you would guess that for most career sites. 
I've always found it interesting that brands spend a whole lot of money for art, sometimes stock art or custom art that looks like stock art, and which employees, and sometimes models, are smiling. But the copy reads like dour washing machine instructions. Okay, sure. Perhaps your brand isn't very funny, and perhaps you pride your brand on its button-down attitudes. But those companies are few and far between. Do you have an office happy hour? Do you have a staff outing? Does it resemble something closer to fun versus an all-hands meeting that just happens to be outside? Have you heard the occasional chuckle down the hall while brainstorming sessions are happening? Okay, well then maybe your career site should reflect a little bit of humor, a little bit of humanity. It can be done without calling attention to the lawyers and the corporate fund police, right? It can be done. Then there's the content hierarchy, and we've talked about that, which leads us to the call to action. Now, remember, content marketing is all about inducing or encouraging action, right? So much of content marketing feels like build a bunch of stories, build a bunch of stuff, done. No, good content marketing drives people via stories, via information, to action. Now, on most career sites, that takes the form of three major tasks, that call to action. What? One, apply for a job. Two, contact a recruiter. Or three, join a talent pool. Um, Just as an aside, I'm not calling it a community. A community is when peers can interact and engage. And if your talent community is just you sending emails to them and getting nothing back, congratulations. It's not a community. Let's just call it a pool for lack of, you know, for any other, you know, phrasing. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. There is a fourth action that's commonly implicit on the site, though. Read more. And we want to kind of clear that up. We want to make sure that as you give these people content, they should feel like they know that they have the opportunity to either dive in deeper and read more or say, you know what? I have enough information. This isn't for me. And they walk away. Okay. Now, a mistake most recruiting content makes is that it assumes the content with a well-defined audience and a focused message will automatically create that action. And that isn't true. Every book on how to look for a job has at least one whole page, if not a whole chapter, on telling the candidate to remember to ask for the job. It's such a 1980s kind of thinking, but to be fair, you still should say that. You should still say you're interested in the job as a candidate. But the same holds true on our side of the table. Don't forget to ask people to take action. Even if it is to read more, find a way of saying there's more here. Don't just say, and the page is done. Dot, 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 no other information. Drive them to something. Connect a dot. That's why the call to action exists, to connect compelling content to a meaningful action. Now, you might assume that every piece of content should end with a big flashing button that leads to a job application process, but that's, well, I call that a rookie mistake. Right. Now, while Alec Baldwin might get away with that kind of strategy of always be closing, your content doesn't and shouldn't feel like a ham-fisted demand to close the deal. Content is there to inform, educate, inspire, and entertain, right? So nowhere on that list is incessantly pester or annoy. Think of a specialized middle manager role you're trying to fill. 
The job description requires seven to 10 years of experience in that subject matter and another two to five years of experience in management. This suggests that you're looking for an experienced dual threat candidate. Not necessarily an easy find, okay? Let's then assume your amazing content begins to give a qualified prospect a compelling reason to apply. But obviously, the, the prospect wants more information, either from your site or for someplace else. And every time they look for information, you've got a big old flashing button demanding they apply. If your recruiter behaved that way, you should fire them. It's not about closing the deal. It's not about getting them to, the, to hitting the button. It's about moving them forward, giving them what the candidate needs to move forward. And that takes the shape of an invitation to more more content. And, and honestly, it's like, like, you know, potato chips, one after the other, after the other, until the prospect is completely sated. Only then will talent consider applying. If you think about it as badgering them, they're just going to leave because let's be fair, the threshold for walking out of your website is a click. So don't just force that information on them. Don't just push them to that button understand that there's probably an opportunity for every candidate to learn a little bit more about your company, about your role, about your team, about your mission, about your culture, what have you, offer it up. Don't worry, candidates know how to find the application button. Last section of this is defining the form. Because with the who and the what determined, this is the part where you start to see the context and figure out exactly how you tell the story you want to tell. The first thought is brand considerations. It's customary to start by remembering what Bezos said about branding, right? Your, your brand is what people say about you when you are in the room. And I'll add my own not quite as famous corollary. Your employer brand is what people say about you when they aren't on the clock. That said, there are things that you do every day, consciously, not consciously, whatever, that influence, establish, and define that employer brand. Are you a suit and tie kind of company? All right. Do you, people bring their dogs to work? Is it quiet? Is it cacophonous? Offices, bullpens, or is it remote work? Collaborative, competitive, all sorts of options here, right? Those attributes and feelings make up a lot of the employee experience. How you express them in your content reinforces them to a wider audience, one that may not have had any other information about your brand. If you're a top brokerage house, you'll likely thrive on intense, interpersonal, and inter-team competition. If your content attempts to reflect a more collaborative environment, that won't align. More accurately, it will actually gut and hollow the intended message. It's gotta connect, it's gotta feel, and it's easy to say it's gotta feel authentic. If you haven't defined what authentic means, which is kind of what this process is all about, then what do you mean? At this stage of the content creation process, you need to have a firm understanding of who you want to talk to and what message you want them to hear. The branding element to connect to what the brand considerations are forces you to marry these external thoughts into the cold reality of who you work for. And this includes things like your actual brand guidelines. And sometimes that means this is our tone of voice, or we use these words and not these words, or it's not, it doesn't have to be fonts and colors. It can simply be how do we want to come across. And those brand considerations, especially in larger companies, are usually really well defined. Trying to to defy them is an exercise in getting your butt kicked. Next section is subject. This may seem like a strange stop on the way to the end of the process, 
But content marketers will understand it immediately. It's the question of now that you know who you're talking to and what message you want to deliver, what's the actual story you're going to tell that delivers that message? Most people do it the other way around, looking for a story and try to figure out how to jury rig it into the brand, right? Like they're taking duct tape and say, this will kind of fit. They stick it up there, they tape it down and hope for the best. And in my mind, this is why so many employer brands feel like houses made out of duct tape, I guess. Don't do that. A million years ago when I was doing competitive forensics in college, I was an extemporaneous speaker, which is the ability to make up or you're judged on a seven-minute presentation based on a prompt and you only have 30 minutes to prepare something to know what that prompt is. Right. I know. I'm cool. Anyway, I saw one team who had four different people in that you know, extemporaneous program, and they each use the same kind of goofy aphorism story about a bird flying south for the winter and has their wings freeze in midair and it plummets to the ground and it lands in a fresh cow poop and thaws out because the heat from the cow poop warmed it up, right? It's a goofy story. It means nothing. Each of the four people on that team, I'm pretty sure they had a bet. <laughs> that they would find a way to shoehorn this thing in. Each one found a way to use that story to support prompts ranging from you never know what the future holds to we thrive because of the kindness of strangers to our success is determined not by what happens to us but by how we react to it. That same stupid frozen bird story was told four different times but it led to four different messages. The same is true for you. That story about your year-end holiday party can talk about the extravagance your performance enables. It can show how you work together and support one another. It can show that the culmination of working towards a shared mission and achieving a great success through innovation or maybe even opportunity. One story can tell lots of different stories. One story can have many, many messages. And this is when you pick the subject that best tells your story. Format. Should your content be video, a tweet, a podcast, a website, a job posting? Should you build an entire event around it? Maybe it makes more sense to make it an online streaming webcast. Once you have all of your other audience and message questions answered, the format selection should be pretty obvious. I mean, for example, if you know you're trying to reach a 28-year-old professional woman who commutes by train, podcast is going to kill it. A webinar may not. An event will not. Right? You've got to understand who you're trying to reach, what they care about, what their life looks like, and that will help you understand what frame or format to use. So that's the framework. The question is, how do you use it? Now, I developed it when I had a team of 19 inbound content marketers and employer brand activists right, working in the recruitment marketing space. The goal was to capture all of the spoken and unspoken questions a great content marketer uses and asks when considering, when considering what kind of content they want to build. And then I wanted to put them in a structure that anyone could use to make better choices about creating recruiting content. And I think I got there, but I've also discovered that not everybody gets it on the first go-round. So I'm going to walk you through the process. So let's say you're about to, you need to build some content and you can build anything. So start at the top of this framework. Who are you trying to reach? Are you desperate to engage Latino people? Are they salespeople? Has it been a while since you said something interesting to marketers? Is recruiting concerned that their pipeline for entry-level data scientists is very, very low? Okay, that's your who. Just that simple audience definition is very much enough to extrapolate their demographics, probably their experience level, 
maybe even their place in the funnel, right? More experienced people aren't on job boards or your career site. So your goal isn't to explain the job to them, but to get them intrigued by how you're different, by the brand itself, okay? So when you figure out what message you want them to take away, do you want them to see you as exciting, sexy, stable, a place where people grow, a place where people are just generally happy? Okay, having read and absorbed your content, what do you want them to do? Where are they in the funnel? What do you need? What is the next step forward? Do you want them to apply straight away? Do you want them to send them more related content? Should they see you at an event? Should you send a video answering a question of some sort? What is the next step in their process? And now that you know all that, you can figure out exactly what story and format will best take the message and put it in front of them in a way that will be absorbed. Obviously being mindful of broader brand considerations. Do this a few times, and not only will the the process become second nature, you'll find that all your content has an amazing cohesiveness and alignment to each other, even if they're aimed at different audiences and telling different stories. Someone will kind of work the process, exiting with a shared sense of all these stories exist within a common universe. Yes, employer brand is kind of like world building. Right? It's not the Marvel universe, but it is your universe. You want to tell stories that make sense inside that universe, that shape and describe that universe from lots of different perspectives. Maybe there's an event or a content-ripe situation that presents itself. If you just show up and, I don't know, write it up, you're working without intention. So if you have a story, walk it through the framework and you can see immediately who the content will appeal to, and how to tweak and present the story so that it maximizes its impact. This is all about having intention. Doing something, throwing it up there, hoping for the best is not how you want to work. Storytelling has an intention, and you need to embrace that. All right, that was a good one. I got deep, I, got, I got excited. It must be a 15th cup of coffee, I guess. Uh, anyway, thanks so much for listening. Next week, we're going to talk about how you use all this stuff I've talked about to make decisions with your architecture. See you next week. Bye. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.